the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. We shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship, support any friend, oppose any foe to assure the survival and the success of liberty. American prosperity is the bedrock of freedom and security all over the world. An obligation to the heritage of liberty and dignity handed down to us by our forefathers. It's time for the Pro-America Report with Ed Martin on The Answer San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. It's Ed Martin and it's the Pro-America Report. I'm excited. You can hear it probably in my voice. Sometimes, uh, periodically, not an insignificant number of times, I have to record an interview before I do my uh, wink, my opening segment. And so right now I'm going to tell you what you need to know. And I had it mapped out. I I was writing down my notes because I've been trying to write about this subject also. That's due process and the need for due process in the country and how we're being impacted. But I just interviewed Nick Barry, who is the senior litigation counsel over at America First Legal, aflegal.org. And this guy is a, a real star. And what they're doing to protect parents' rights, it's awesome. They got a settlement up in Pennsylvania where they basically backed off a school board that was, um, you know, when you're in public schools, you have a lot of power as a parent to opt out of things, especially teachings you don't agree with, sex t- sex ed, sometimes all this uh, crazy, uh, uh, you know, kind of uh, diversity stuff that goes too far. You can opt out of stuff. And there's lots of laws, federal laws and, and state laws that protect it. But a lot of times a parent is at the mercy of the bureaucrats who don't want you to opt out. They don't want to they don't want to mess up the gravy train. And the gravy train is these curriculums that are put in. So they find lots of bureaucratic ways to make it difficult. And so, you you know, you I, I'm going to opt out for my child. And then they oh yeah, in order to opt out, you have to have your child bring it up. And you're like, what? My child's a seven year old. You know, my child's going to bring it up. What are you talking about? And they do all these kinds of things. So kudos to Nick Barry and America First Legal. You're going to love this interview in a few moments. Really good. Really good. And uh, so and then after him, we'll talk with uh, John Schlafly. We haven't ta- caught up with John Schlafly. But what you need to know today, what you need to know today, it's uh, let me tell you, it is um, so important so important. I've talked about it before, and I'm trying to write a lengthier uh, piece of of journalism on this, on due process and on what the due process clause means and what due process in America means and what its history is in the country. And, you know, there's a lot to due process and there's a big history of it. And some of it has been taken over by the left. Because what due process really means is what you would usually call procedural. You hear there in the word process, procedural stuff. What the left did was try to say substantive due process and read into things rights that have bigger meaning. And frankly, this is where they get things like they created the Roe v. Wade, Adobe Bolton. When they made up that right, that's the spirit of what's gone on with substantive due process. But procedural due process has this immense history, uh, just about a thousand years. Really, often people cite it back to the Magna Carta. The Magna Carta was uh, an English uh, document. And by the way, there is a copy, one of only five copies of the Magna Carta 
in Washington, D.C., in the museum, the archives, the National Archives for America has the uh, Declaration of Independence, the Constitution. It's extraordinary. Uh, the Bill of Rights. It's unbelievable. You can go. It's this incredible hall. If you've seen some of those, what was the movie, The Night of the Museum or one of those? There was a, a movie that showed that hall. It's a really stately, beautiful space. Well, the floor below that on the first floor, there's a copy of the Magna Carta. And I think the Magna Carta was signed in like 1235. This copy is one of only five uh, existing copies and was from about 10 or 20 years later. But there's, that's the only copies they have is this, that, that era. But anyway, that, that, that's where most people cite the, the um, development of due process, where the king had to cut a deal to, to hold power. And basically, he, he started to put in place this idea that you had a way to ask a way to check the power by objecting and getting due process all the way down to today. As I've told you over and over again, I believe the crown jewel, the crown jewel of America is our constitution and the rule of law and the values underlying it. By the way, the values are really important. And I will join if you want me to, I'll say Judeo Christian values, but I really mean Christian values for me, the Christian values you look at it, it's a Judeo Christian, because for me as a Christian, the, the Judeo, uh, the Judeo Christian tr- tradition is within the Christian tradition, but be that as it may, the virtues of honesty, integrity, uh, fair dealing, things that have come, come up in our, all of our beings as a moral people, that's what informs how the rule of law and the constitution are understood and implemented and dealt with. So the crown jewel in America, constitution, rule of law, and the founding values all together, melting pot of people, didn't matter if you were the relative of the king, or it didn't matter if you were a rich guy or poor guy, you had the ability, the opportunity, the system allowed you to flourish. Didn't mean everybody everybody did, didn't mean we didn't need to improve it, we did. We have, we will. Right now we're gutting it. And we're gutting it because, for example, due process is being denied to so many people. Now, I have seen... For a long time, aspects of this problem, and I probably was blind to the scope of it. So I have seen, you know, over the years that certain groups of people are treated uh, differently, aren't treated fairly. I have seen uh, judges who I thought were not impartial, but they tended to be an exception, not the rule, or they tended to be an exception that was an outlier. That's a better way to say it. And instances of of poor treatment of certain people and, and lack of due process, it, it fell, at least I justified to myself looking back as a lawyer, I, I looked at it and said, well, those are mistakes. Those are errors. Now we see systemically a denial of due process. And let me talk about one aspect. Due process requires an impartial tribunal and a judgment by your peers, we say, but by unbiased peers. In other words, if you went on a jury and you were and I was the one being charged with something and it turns out that you and I had been business partners and we had had a, you know, a, a severed partnership and we were no longer in business together and we didn't like each other. You wouldn't put that guy on the jury uh, uh, to judge me. You, you, there was an expectation. And again, it, there was no magic formula that said how you would figure out what an impartial tribunal was, an impartial judge or, or a jury of my peers that were, that were unbiased. It was a sort of a, a development of the constitution and the rule of law and the founding values. And so due process denied, we watched. And this is the one that's in my head that I want to tell you about because I'm so upset about it. I'm upset about it every day. After January 6th, when there was a riot and some people did do things they shouldn't have done, 
We watched the media and big tech push a narrative, and we watched as one of the major government entities, the U.S. House of Representatives, spent tens of millions of dollars and simply lied about a message. They did, It was a political lie, in my opinion, but it was politicization of what happened on January 6th. Instead of getting to the bottom of the pipe bomber, we know nothing. Instead of getting to the bottom of, uh, of, of dubious actors like the gallows, the fake gallows gang, we got nothing. Instead of preserving a record and having history be clear, we have the select committee of Liz Cheney, Nancy Pelosi, and Benny Thompson. They deleted the videos of, of depositions. They got rid of documents. They hired staff who did investigations, and they disappeared the documents. You get the point. But it was a political argument they were making. Here's the problem. The problem is due process requires that you go and and if you're arrested and someone charges you, the prosecutor charges you, you you are allowed to go into court and get a a fair jury and a fair body. Washington, D.C. has a population of just over 700,000 people. Conservatively, I don't know, 400,000 could serve on a jury. That's conservatively. It's probably less because there's probably people that are. Well, no, that's probably that's probably right. I, I, knowing Washington, D.C., maybe it's maybe out of 700,000 people, you know, 450,000 are adult and, and age to serve on a jury. But be that as it may, what you had was a political branch and the media and big tech telling a lie in such a way that there's no way you can get a fair trial. In Washington, D.C., there might not be a way you can get a fair trial in America because the power of the narrative machine, big tech, big government and big uh, media. But at least you could argue that if you went to Denver and tried a case of a guy who had showed up on January 6th and broke a window, you'd get a jury that wouldn't be as dominated by the 20 million dollars nearly that this Congress spent, the public hearings, the uproar, the the, the over dramatization of security, et cetera, et cetera. Due process and our crown jewel constitution, rule of law and founding values says when in doubt, protect the system and give the individual citizen something else, someplace else to go to get a fairer jury trial, ju- a fairer jury. And and you know what? The judges and and the media and big tech and everybody has not demanded that. So you have people who are suffering through a system that is completely biased. And and if you don't have due process, if you deny due process for individuals to get a fair trial with jurors who would be at least open, then the thumb is not just on the scale. The scale is 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 hammered down in favor of the prosecution. It's hard enough to beat a federal prosecutor with a fair jury. It's hard enough because the federal prosecutors have all the power and all the money and all the action and all the stuff. And again, in this case, but in this case of all these January 6th, it's a blatant denial of due process and no one's objecting sufficient to stop it. It's wild. It's wild. It's terrible. It's terrifying. It's not democracy. What Joe Biden and his DOJ are doing is not democracy. It's not. This is is a is an authoritarian regime when you deny due process. All right, we got to run. We got to run. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. Uh, Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment.
Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. I, a few days ago now, I um, got a message. I can't even remember now who it was, but I got a message about a story that I had not seen covered. And uh, it's the West Shore, West Shore School District case. And um, our guys over at America First Legal that do such a great job and are so attentive, doing so many things, actually, so many things. And that's one of the reasons I said to uh, John Zadrozny, who's been on before, who, who can I talk to about this? America First Legal, they reached a settlement agreement with the Pennsylvania School District, allowing parents to opt out of this crazy SEL curriculum. And so our... Um, our guest to, to to cover this is Nick Barry, and Nick Barry is himself a seat the senior litigation counsel at America First Legal. And uh, welcome, sir. How are you? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Ed. First of all, how'd you get a settlement? You know, sometimes a settlement is because the, the other side realizes it's a, a better deal. And and I hate to say it, but the left does this where they get on both sides of the V, they get leftists. And for example, on election and integrity issues, they just settle. But um, was it were, were they were, did they come to see the light or did they get stuck with bad enough uh, facts and law that they realized they better get a settlement? That's a great question. We definitely weren't on both sides of this V as the left often yeah, does. I think so. I um, so. We, we, we ended up with great facts. So early in the case, uh, they tried to prevent us from getting the opt-out requests from other parents because we had heard through the grapevine that other parents had their opt-out requests granted while our parents had theirs denied. Right. So we were, we requested all the other opt-out requests and they tried to say that FERPA, the, the um, yep. protections for parents, doesn't allow them to release it. Well, the court disagreed and said for litigation purposes, they could be released if they're properly redacted. So we got those requests and it turned out they had granted opt-out requests that were substantially similar to our opt-out requests. Hmm. And and so <clears throat> given the way that they denied our request, it made it look a lot like perhaps religious discrimination or discrimination, particularly against our plaintiffs. Um, just to just to let you know what they said when our parents tried to opt out, one of the one of the lines that was read or th- that they were emailed was the information you provided does not meet the expectations outlined in board policy 105.3 and lacks the level of detail required for exemption. You have not identified specific instruction within the curriculum, which conflicts with your religious beliefs. Well, wh- why should my why should right. any American have to justify their religious beliefs when opting out of this curriculum? I don't have to explain or defend my religious beliefs to the government. Right. Uh, right. Right. We're talking to Nick, Mer- Nick Barry. And let me back up because I, I, you know, I'm an attorney, too, and immediately was interested in that, that question I just asked. And I sat here thinking I totally get this and all. But let me back up for our listeners, because part of my beef with the media and everybody else is so many good things, interesting things happening at America First Legal. I, you know, I think Miller was Stephen Miller, a founder, once said he wants to be the ACL you of the of the america you know america first or you know i'd call it constitutional movement and and you guys are i mean you're in the middle of a bunch of interesting stuff but let me back up what are the facts here i mean social emotional learning curriculum i don't i i and i follow this stuff don't even really know what that means in this case and then importantly your point was even if you do wacky stuff like social emotional learning parents have a right to opt out and you can't roll over that so this becomes a parents rights issue but tell me a little bit more what is sel curriculum what was going on here what did you you see and how'd you end up uh, getting a a lawsuit filed yeah absolutely so the school district implemented uh, SEL curriculum which is social emotional learning called character strong that is off of the case l or casel 
uh, platform, which is one of the big players in this area. And you're talking about millions or hundreds of millions of dollars across the country at this point for these curriculums they are being implemented everywhere. And they're, they're, right. they're often pitched as an anti-bullying, anti-suicide type of thing that they're going to develop the character of your child. They're going to teach them to be a good person who's respectful and all of these other qualities that you otherwise would want in your children. The problem is how do they do it and what are they doing with your children during these lessons and, and what other things are they sneaking into these lessons? Um, while it might look good on the on the front end parents also have the obligation and the responsibility to raise their own kids this is right i think as moms for liberty often says you know we're not co-parenting with the government here right and and these sel curriculums are often look like co-parenting and here i'll just read you know and and part of one of the opt-outs from our parents she said for you know um, I need you to understand that I do not agree with what is said in the circle stays in the circle. And I asked her what this meant. And she said, it's her understanding that in this curriculum, the students would get together on whatever topic it happens to be, and they would share personal life stories that impacted that topic. So if they're building resilience, what's something that happened to you that helped you build resilience? And they're having this like this mini, I don't know, therapy session, group therapy session with the students. And now this is K through eighth grade, right? You're talking about five, six, seven year old kids. And this mom has five children, three of them adopted from, you know, an abusive background. And she didn't want them participating in this group therapy session that she couldn't have any understanding of what was even being talked about or encouraged by the teacher, uh, which seems completely appropriate to me. Yeah, Um, (laughs) right. And so that's really where this started is, is, you know, one of the parents and the other parent had the exact same concerns or similar concerns. They're Seventh-day Adventists, and they think it's their responsibility to raise their kids and to teach them values and principles that are core to their identity and to, to form their child's identity. And they don't think that the school has any part in that. And so they also tried to opt out. Um, and, and I'll tell you, at the beginning, our, one of our parents actually was granted an opt out by the principal huh. who said, oh, I, I understand completely. Thank you for your letter. We're going to remove your children. And then the same day, the assistant superintendent emailed and said, nope, we're not going to opt your kids out. And then that language I read earlier that says, you know, um, you haven't identified what conflicts with your religious beliefs is what got sent to her. And they they removed her opt out. So that's what started this case is they reached out to us yeah. with these facts. And we thought, so, you know, so, we, so, we so can't Nick let Barry, this go. Again, Nick Barry, sorry, senior litigation counsel, American First Legal. You go to American First, Amer- AFlegal.org. Sorry, um, Nick, uh, what was the settlement then? And 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 does the settlement give, uh, you know, sometimes you take, you know, you're, you're, you're I say this a bit, you're, you're an attorney, you know this. Sometimes you got to take the settlement that's good for the parents in front of you. They're your client. But you're hoping also to set the uh, either the precedent or set the principles for others to be able to point to it and say, you know, that's that's right. And let me do that. And another judge will say, I see that. I mean, did you get, did you get, um, are, are you optimistic that you've got a, a path to at least make some momentum forward? Yeah, absolutely. So we had great clients who really did, who cared about their own children, but also cared about the other children in their school district. And they, you know, talking to them at the beginning of the case, they weren't interested in just protecting their children. They wanted to help protect all the kids in the district. Um, and we did get a settlement that protects all of the children in the district. And, and the settlement says um, that, that all parents shall be able to opt out of this by simply identifying the SL curriculum and and making their objection known. And that's it. That that, you know, this this violates my religious beliefs. I'm opting out of this SEL curriculum and it shall be granted. And it's for all parents in the school district. So we definitely think this is a big win for everybody. Um uh, I want to there's one ahead, please, please there's one ahead. other thing in in 
and that's going around in some of these districts. And, and uh, the Pennsylvania School Board Association, as I understand, has put out a, effectively a model policy, and it's 105.3 in, in this school district. It'll be other numbers in other districts. But when you do get an opt-out, it says that your child has to remove themselves from the classroom when, when the instruction is being taught. How is a kindergartner supposed to remove themselves from a <laughs> yeah, classroom? Right, exactly. So, well, yeah, no, and, and, and it makes you crazy. Like, if, I don't know if you have kids, but as a, as a parent, what you learn, you don't know it. Nobody can coach you on it. You have kids and you suddenly realize... I got to be there for my kid. Everybody's nice. Everybody cares, but I got to be there for my kid. And then somebody's suddenly saying, no, no, you're not allowed to be there for your kid. Your kid has to do it at five years old, eight years old. I mean, it is insanity. It is crazy. And so we also got that as part of our settlement that any child in K through eight who's been granted an opt out, the administration is responsible for removing them from the classroom Hmm. during SEL instruction. Yeah, um, it's you know, you know, um, uh, 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 thank you for doing this all. And again, I'm really glad to have you back on. And as you're tracking this stuff, I know your job is to litigate, but anything we can do to help publicize both uh, through the, the radio program and also our Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, because so important to, 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 you know, everyone wants a grand slam home run in the bottom of the ninth, but you got to hit a lot of singles and you got to take a lot of swings and, and figure it out. It sounds like you're doing this. You know, I do want to point to one thing. I've been talking to some folks and, and I, I'll send it to you offline. Uh, Phyllis Schlafly, 40 years ago published a book called Child Abuse in the Classroom uh, that highlighted hearings held on the Hatch Amendment, which was a, a law that had been passed to empower parents and, and how how parents can object and how parents can uh, uh, impact things. And, you know, I, I, again, we're way down in the weeds, but I, I had a, another guest on the program. We're talking about textbooks. It used to be the textbooks. If Texas had a textbook, you could influence what most of the country had for a school textbook if you could influence Texas because they bought so many books. You know, Montana had to buy what Texas did. Now, Connecticut can make Make the worst decisions about uh, uh, textbooks and about their policies as to what kids are seeing. And you got to have these protections like you guys are pushing. So uh, I encourage you and, and thank you for doing it and keep us uh, uh, informed so we can help uh, spread the word. Yeah, absolutely. And just to point out the the Hatch Amendment, also known as the Protection of Pupil Rights Amendment, we have a a, a parent guide on our website. If if you want to go look under resources that can help parents use the PPRA to get information and to challenge their school districts who are providing surveys or other education that that's oh. probably inappropriate. So. I see it right here. A toolkit, even better. Yeah, a toolkit. Yeah, All right, a great. Toolkit. That's hey, uh, uh, thank you. I'm out of time. I got to run. Otherwise, I get yelled at by the uh, pr- the producers. So uh, no Nick problem. Barry, Senior Litigation Counsel, AFLegal.org. And just in one second, when he mentioned that resources tab, I dropped in and found what he mentioned. So a lot there. We'll take a break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Back in a moment. Welcome back. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Time to catch up with John Schlafly. John Schlafly with his brother Andy writes the weekly column, the Schlafly Report, continuing a tradition that their mother, the late Phyllis Schlafly, did for almost five decades. Uh, and it runs over at townhall.com and is available, maybe more importantly, with the other columns, weekly columns at phyllisschlafly.com, archived there. This week's column, GOP should reject improper ballot initiatives. Welcome back, John. And I do think that the people have lost the argument uh, or lost the what do they call it the thread on this all of these ballot initiatives really are not they don't work for america it, it's 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 in fact it's working for the corporatists and the consultant class who mislead people whether it's cannabis abortion pick a topic it doesn't work but we have we've sort of lost that debate nobody says that right well ballot initiatives um are 
a form of you might call direct democracy, and they exist in some form in roughly 20 states. It started about 100 years ago. Um, uh, it's not really, you know, our founding fathers of our of the United States uh, set up a, a what they called that was their word a republican form of government. That means you elect representatives, uh, and they are our lawmakers. And uh, so we we think it's a concern, Ed, that there's been uh, major changes in the laws of some states being adopted through this process of initiative, which means let's, you know, let's say what happens in a ballot initiative. Somebody, some interest group is willing to spend millions of dollars first to collect signatures and then to put it, or put it on the ballot, fighting lawsuits uh, and then running millions of dollars of advertising to bring out people to vote for that single issue. And um, so that's not really uh, – and, and the majority of states still, still do not allow that. But for the states that do, uh, it's a concern because uh, the vast majority of the money that is raised and spent is from out-of-state uh, it's interest groups, it's corporate groups, it's people who stand to profit from whatever the initiative is. Now, we've seen this marijuana, in abortion, in gambling. Uh, each one of those three vices are supported by a huge industry, uh, which is seeking to change the law in order to uh, increase their profits. And it's not a you proper know, John, way John, of running our government, John. You know, the, but but it's isn't it isn't it more um, isn't it sort of more urgent in this sense? It, it, I agree with you. About a hundred years ago, there was a movement that said more direct democracy would be better. It's hard to argue against more democracy or direct democracy in the sense that people say, well, you know, people should have their voice heard, and then at a certain point, there was. African-Americans couldn't vote and women couldn't vote, get their voices heard. But it's it's a bit it's a lot more cynical and dangerous now because the way our system is working is the person or group with the most money who's willing to lie can persuade the people through social media and through used to be just used to be had to use TV and radio and mail. Now it's mail, TV, radio, social media, and very sophisticated that, you know, not guessing, but very sophisticated. And therefore it's, you can still, I guess you can say it's the will of the people, but it's, it's kind of um, the, the uh, deception of the people and it's not small stuff there. I mean, neither, neither was prohibition, of course, which would be, you know, an example of that same movement at the same time wanting to make big changes but you know we're we're, we're watching spending decisions we're watching uh, quality of life decisions regulatory decisions happening basically by whoever has the the best the most amount of money and to put a, 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 a cherry on top uh once you do citizens united and you say corporations are our speech and you can hide behind dark money uh, everybody from the planned parenthood which we all hate i mean conservatives hate but also wall street which we should hate are doing the same thing it's it's a it's a well, i'm not sure the republic f- stands john if it's not more uh readily understood well i mean ed you've 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 lumped together a bunch of things there of course pros- uh are Prohibition was enacted through a constitutional right. process. I, I understand. Uh, but it was the same progressive I'm movement. People, I'm all for people, you know, letting <laughs> their voices be heard. Nobody's nobody's questioning that except the people who want to censor social media. But uh, and we've that 
So we saw that, you know, we've got Nikki Haley talking about it. Anyway, but, you know, what we're talking about with ballot initiatives is a different form of lawmaking. You know, we don't, direct democracy was never part of our uh, system, meaning that uh, you cast ballots for laws. That's not the way our federal government and our states operate. Uh, we, we have representative democracy where we elect uh, our representatives who then participate and deliberate and negotiate over uh, by filtering uh, legislation through a process of checks and balances and eventually laws through a process of filtration come out of that. But this, this thing of ballot initiatives uh, short circuits the whole process. And some interest group comes up with uh, a, a ballot question, which then can go directly into the constitution of a state without any of that filtration process. And it can be deceptive, misleading, uh, you know, confusing. Uh, it can overturn the laws that were passed by the legislature. I mean, that's not a good way to do it. And we've just seen how that was enacted um uh, if with issue one and issue two in Ohio last week, right? Or the or or or, or and uh, this is a good illustration of what should not happen. And I'm hoping that the other branches of government in Ohio, the legislature and the courts, will uh, will find a way to check the. Well, that's 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 my next question, John. Yeah, that's my next question. I don't want to run out of time. Sorry to interrupt you. But th- th- what are the ways to what are the solutions? I mean, in Ohio, uh, in August, they tried to put a to make it harder to do this. And that failed. Right. And again, it failed because there was millions and millions on one side basically saying they're taking your voice away, as opposed to what I think would be the argument, which is, you know, this is a, a reasonable amount. If you make it 60 percent of the vote to change something, that's that's a bit of a check on this. Well, the solutions are I, I mean, are, are you really arguing that you should have the courts strike this down Some Somehow, or is the solution, you know, does the solution require leadership in the legislature and a governor's office that signs something that says we're not going to allow this? Well, I'm not really sure. Of course, I'd be in favor of eliminating the whole process. Uh, right. Uh, you know, we can have, well, you got, first of all, people should remember the difference between initiatives and referendums. Referendum is a ballot question which is referred to the voters by the legislature. And I don't have any objection to that. Uh, but the initiative is where one interest group is willing to spend an unlimited amount of money to, first of all, write uh, right. the a proposal yep. and then get it on the ballot and then turn out the voters for the people who support that. You know, it also bypasses the two-party system uh, because uh, typically an initiative is a one-party uh it's, it aids one party, and that's what we have for uh, certainly, you know, uh, the, the issue one and two in Ohio, which is a predominantly Republican state. But uh, those initiatives were passed by the voters by uh, overwhelmingly by Democrats and opposed overwhelmingly by Republicans. So that's another way in which our political system is short-circuited and bypassed by the initiative process, by the process of, you know, turning out votes. It's kind of like a form of ballot harvesting yeah. in which those initiatives get passed. 
And it's a concern. I don't have the answer, except that all people in politics should uh, look for ways to check that whole process. Uh, John Schlafly is our guest. Again, uh, his his columns, his weekly column with his brother Andy are archived over at phyllisschlafly.com. Uh, unfortunately, John, I'm out of time. I, but the the uh, to put a, a fine point on it again and, and read his column this week is GOP should reject improper, improper ballot initiatives. Uh, uh, you know, my argument would be even when you think you can do it for a good cause, a conservative cause, say it's you're running into the question of who's going to fund it. And uh, and, you know, I, I made the argument about Ohio, for example, Planned Parenthood was one of the big funders. Well, they get almost $800 million of tax dollars each year from the federal government. Our tax dollars, they're using money's fungible. They're using it in these uh, ways to influence policy, which then rewards them with more money. I mean, it's a it's a system that is so corrupt, so obviously um, prone to corruption that it's uh, hard to overstate it. So, John Schlafly, thank you, as always. Uh, the Schlafly Report, again, phyllisschlafly.com for archive there. And I will put it up on social media also. We'll be back. We'll take a break. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Back in a moment. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report, presenting a daily conservative pro-family perspective since 1983 and continuing the legacy of Phyllis Schlafly. Now, here's the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. Conservatives who critique the left's obsession with diversity, equity and inclusion, so-called DEI, are derided as being alarmists. Those that raise legitimate concerns over critical race theory are deemingly labeled culture warriors. Yet the leftist philosophies underlying both DEI and critical race theory pour over far outside the philosophical realm. When taken to their logical conclusion, they have real-world consequences for America in both domestic and foreign policy. One key example comes from political science professor Peter Beinert, who wrote a guest essay for the New York Times all about how conservatives' China policy is based on some racial motive rather than a desire to protect freedom-loving people from totalitarian communist dictatorships. Beinert claims that conservatives don't only see China's rise as a threat to American power, they see it as a threat to white Christian power, too. Beinert supports his outlandish claim by pointing out the special allure that the Far East held for Christian missionaries dating back to the mid-1800s. It is certainly true that many spiritual heroes boldly left the comforts of Western life behind to share the life-changing power of the Christian gospel with the people of China and other Asian lands. Many would even give their lives for this noble cause. But to transform this selfless act of devotion to God into some sort of racist attack on Asian people is the most nonsensical of claims. Of course, what is true is that communist China today hates Christianity and actively persecutes both native and foreign Christians. Peter Beinert and his academic ilk know that they cannot deny the brutality of communism when confronted by the evidence. That's why they apply the principles of critical race theory to create an ad hominem attack. Ad hominem, that's when a debater attacks the character of an individual rather than the content of the claim they're making. Reject the ad hominem CRT attack on sound policy against communist China. We must prevent their brutal track record of human rights abuses from reaching our shores. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. It's no secret that globalists are bent on destroying Western culture. 
Whether the threat comes from inside or outside our borders, America must be protected from cultural Marxism and those who would deny American sovereignty. We're seeking your insight at phyllisschlafly.com. That's phyllisschlafly.com. And join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Pro-America Report. This is uh, Ryan Height sliding in real quick here for Ed. Going to finish out the show. He had to run on to something, um, but a good show it was. Uh, very good. Good guests. Good uh, uh, starting segment. Man, I, I enjoyed the starting segment or, or what you need to know today. And I wanted to dovetail off of that. Let me tell you, we are right up in front of the Thanksgiving holiday here in America next week. So I know everyone's minds are filled with turkey, football, good family get-togethers. But um, I think this is a great time, uh, as Ed reminded us. Uh, uh, of of our uh, crown, uh, the the crown jewel, the gem of due process of our constitution, our heritage here, and how that ties all the way back to the Magna Carta, uh, twelve fifteen, on the plains of Runnymede. Um, I'm going to wax a little historical here in this wrap up. Uh, this is a great time for us to remember to get back to some original historical documents. So I think that this uh, this weekend uh, here, as we head into this beautiful weekend, the week before Thanksgiving, uh, between now and, and next week, we're going to spend some time with family. I think it's time that we get into some uh, historical documents, do some reading. And I want to give you a couple of resources, but uh, we just this is a rich uh, historical holiday, uh, really a very uniquely religious holiday here in America. It probably has uh, not occurred to many of us, but if you start looking at it, uh, you know, before the 20th century and the commercialization of, uh, of Thanksgiving... Uh, you will find an incredibly rich and deep history. It is very uniquely American, and it is very uniquely Christian. This is our great religious uh, feast day. I think Phyllis Schlafly said that one time. And there is a lot of uh, incredible history. Obviously, we've got... uh, uh, you know, presidential proclamations and, and thanksgiving for the blessings of the Lord here in America. But if you look back uh, to it, of course, we're all connected to uh, the pilgrims. We understand and have our, you know, different pilgrim plays and Indians and the feast and turkey and this and that and the other. But it's so much more than that. When you start to dig into it, kind of like a, as we just went through here in the wink today, um, you look over the history of our due process, what that means, where it came from. We trace it all the way back uh, to hundreds and hundreds of years ago. In England, when uh, the king was forced to admit this uh, this rule of this concept, the rule of law, no man above the law, um, Lex Rex. Uh, and I'm throwing out historical terms here, but pl- feel free to write anything down and, and jump into it because that's what I'm encouraging. Is on Thanksgiving in particular, the more that we start to look back and put the dots together, uh, the pilgrims, uh, their search for a land where they could worship freely and operate their churches freely. They were running from uh, a tyrannical rule, really, from the Church of England at the time uh, and wanted to find uh, freedom of conscience and uh, liberty to worship uh, the Lord and observe uh, the Bible in the way that they saw fit and the way that they understood according to the scriptures. And as you look back across the history of people who came to these shores, the settlers who came here, the early formations and the foundations from Plymouth uh, to a lot of the other settlements, you will find explorers and adventurers and um, merchants coming to look in the New 
world for what lumber and game could be made and money. But there is an undeniable commonality that so many of the people came here were seeking a refuge of religious liberty uh, to worship openly and freely in the way that they saw fit and understood. And I I don't think that it's any coincidence uh, across the historical spectrum when you look back and realize that that is one of the primary motivations of the founding fathers, why a lot of them and their ancestors uh, were here, why the colonies of Great Britain originally began, because people were uh, coming to seek religious freedom. And that was a huge tenet of uh, of even the time of the American War for Independence and obviously stayed uh, through as an incredibly important thing all the way through uh, 1789, the new government uh, being formed with our Constitution. That was a f- number one, the First Amendment uh, to the Constitution of the United States of America recognized all of the key uh, important fundamental rights granted to man by God and respected by this new government uh, of the United States. And uh, first and foremost in there, and among it was uh, the right to freedom of religion. Uh, The uh, observance of that by the government, uh, not repressing it, uh, the respecting of it by the government, um, it is essentially what America was founded upon. And I think that's uh, not not stepping out too far onto a limb to say that. So if you want to look back across some historical documents uh, this week. I think that you will see that. You will see the incredible connections of our Christian heritage. Uh, Don't let the left tell you it's a conspiracy theory. It's not. (laughs) That is undeniably what our nation was founded upon and uh, traced all the way back, uh, not just to the 1600s, to the pilgrims, uh, but throughout all of that time, you will find an incredible uh, reason. The reason our nation is here, uh, the reason our nation is what it is today and was set up and framed uh, by our founding fathers is because of the search for uh, freedom of religion, for freedom of conscience, uh, to worship freely as they saw fit. So go back and look at some of the presidential proclamations. Here's a, here's a couple of good places. First of all, the Great Hearts Institute, uh, which has some connections to Amy and Leon Cass, uh, educators who were uh, pretty connected to the Hudson Institute, I think, and uh, often taught a lot of good historical things, a good history before we revised it. Uh, but the Great Hearts Institute, whatsoproudlywehail.org. If you look up Thanksgiving Day proclamations and whatsoproudlywehail.org or the Great Hearts Institute, you're going to find a great page you need to visit. Thanksgiving Day proclamations. 1789 to the present. And there it is. George Washington, John Adams, James Madison, uh, Abraham Lincoln, Andrew Johnson, Ulysses S. Grant, because there were calls uh, for days of prayer and thanksgiving. Uh, Not until Abraham Lincoln, though, did it become 1863, an officially recognized day each year, an annual observance. Um, So go look at that. And then also another good one, you want to see some of the underpinnings of that. Like Ed said in the beginning, the principles of where it came from. Head over to wallbuilders.com slash Thanksgiving. Um, The Barton family has done an incredible job pulling together a huge history of Thanksgiving sermons and proclamations and showing the rich history from the pilgrims uh, to the modern day uh, to the formation of America of what Thanksgiving means, where it comes from, and what uh, what the underpinnings of it are. So go do some reading and have some historical uh, time with your family by yourself. Grab some documents uh, and, and take a look at our rich historical history of uh, Christian heritage and Thanksgiving in America. And thank you for being part of this. Thanks for being here and being a listener. Thank you to Mason, my co-producer. Thank you to Ed for leading the show. And thank you to you for listening. We will see you right back here next week on the Pro-America Report. Go to ProAmericaReport.com, pick up the podcast and standalones, and have a good weekend, everybody. We'll see you next one. 
three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.